Welcome to Threshold Church. I just want to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading as I'm speaking tonight. So if, if there's times where I pause or just, I just really, this, uh, this is a message I'm going to be sharing that has been very weighty. Um, really, it's probably a couple years in the making uh, I've, I've known that the Lord wanted me to bring a message about embracing his judgments, embracing God's judgments. Um, I've had it stirring and burnt, like kind of just stewing in it and meditating on it and just been contemplating the timing of it. And just God made it really clear a few weeks back that it was time to release this message. And so um, we're going to be looking at Mal- Malachi chapter 3 in a few minutes. We're going to get there in a couple minutes, but I can just tell you that sermon preparation looked a little different for me this week. Um, I spent a lot of time just fasting, um, coming before God and saying, God, examine my heart. God, I don't want to preach this message if there's any mixture in my heart. I don't want to preach this message if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. I believe he wants to release something in our midst tonight. I believe he wants to fall upon us with a burning fire. If you were here last week, um, Kate Newcomer preached a message. Just it was a short message leading us into our communion and prayer time. But she she kind of really introduced what we're going to get into more of tonight. And just this whole concept of how, you know, we're, we're, we're crying out to God for an outpouring of his spirit. But yet it's in his, actually out of his love and holiness, I think is the way she put it, that he's actually holding back. He's giving us time to get ourselves right with him so that when he pours out his spirit, it is not in the midst of mixture. So that mixture is not coming out of our hearts. So that mixture is not coming out of the move of his spirit. And that God gives us seasons to get ourselves right. He's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the grace that we need to come into the light, to come into holiness, to come into repentance. And then there are times when he intervenes through his judgments because because out of his love and out of his Uh, goodness, out of his righteousness, out of his holiness, he has to step in and bring correction and bring intervention. And there's just a, that's just a, you know, quick snapshot that of what she shared last week. And she released a prophetic word that she had gotten in January about spring cleaning in the house of God and specifically how God is dealing with, with religious systems that have abused the people of God, religious structures and leaders that have been wolves in sheep's clothing that have been preying on God's flock. He's dealing decisively in this time. This is a time where we do not want to be messing around. This is a time where we do not want to be lukewarm. This is a time where we do not want to be asleep. This is not a time to be asleep. It's not a time to be asleep. And so I'm going to be releasing this word on embracing God's judgments. It seems to me that the concept of God's judgment has been something that in the American church we have almost been embarrassed about. Like we've almost been embarrassed. I'm not sure if you know what I mean by that. Almost like we wish there were certain parts in the Bible that weren't there. It's almost like, well, we kind of make excuses for why God did this. You know, why God struck Ananias and Sapphira dead. Right? Or why certain judgments came. And why certain, it's almost like we're like, we almost have to feel like we have to make excuses for these. Or or we have to, and let me tell you something. God's judgments are good. 
God's judgments are good. God's judgments are necessary. And, and so many people, so many of us maybe even in this room, we've been, we've been trying to minimize the concept of God's judgments. We've been trying to just put it off as if, as if, well, God used to do that in the Old Testament, but he doesn't do that anymore. Or we put it to the future, like, well, I know there's going to be a judgment someday, but now we're in this time period where I'm telling you God's judgment is a present-day reality. And I'm telling you, we, we need to understand the, the significance of the, the importance of God's judgment. You know, Scripture says that God is love. Can we agree on that? Scripture says God is love. Do you know what else the Scripture says? God is judge. God is love. God is judge. But yet we've put these two concepts against each other. We'll even talk about like, well, we just need to love people. We don't need to judge, right? As if judgment is always unloving. As if judgment and loving are opposites. As if God can't be loving and also judge at the same time. Because we misunderstand, first of all, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And we misunderstand even what the word judgment even means. We need God's judgment. The word judgment I looked it up in the Hebrew language. It's very similar in the Greek language. It simply means to give a verdict. That's essentially what it means. A judgment is a verdict. It's a decision. It's an assessment. It can be associated with a correction. It's not the same as wrath. It's not the same as condemnation. Although judgment can lead to condemnation, judgment can lead to wrath, but those aren't the same words. A judgment is simply God's verdict, God's assessment. You cannot separate the judgment of God from the person of God because he himself is judge. And since he is all-knowing and since he is all-good, I'm so glad that he is the judge. You can't separate God's judgment from who he is as God. You see, from the very first verse of the Bible, from the first account of Scripture of who God is, it reveals him as judge. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God in that scripture is Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That word Elohim means God as creator and God as judge. Because he is the creator, he is also the judge. And we notice from the very beginning of creation, he was making judgments. When he created the light, he said, let there be light. He saw the light and he said, and he saw that it was good. What was that? That was making a judgment. That was making an assessment. He made his assessment of it. He made his assessment of his creation. And he, he kept saying, it is good. That's a judgment. 
That's a determination. That's a verdict. And then eventually he saw something that wasn't good. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. He was judging the situation. Do you understand? That's, that's actually God as judge. So God's judgment can mean a whole lot of things. But it's his verdict. It's his assessment. You know, forever, we've been, we just culture, especially over the last couple hundred years, a couple hundred years ago during the Enlightenment time period, right? During the um, time of where scientific advancement and the theory of evolution, all this stuff, there's been a push to remove God as the creator. There was a push to move God as the creator. Now there is a push to remove God as the judge. That's what today we're seeing. There is a push to remove God as the creator and once they've done that in the culture, then the very next logical step is there's a push to remove God as the judge. And when you remove God as the judge, right is wrong and wrong is right. Up is down and down is up. You get to decide what good is. You get to decide what morality is. You get to decide if you're a man or a woman. Because God is not the judge anymore. That's what happens when you remove the judgment of God. Evil is called good. Good is called evil. Slaughtering babies is called a women's right when you remove the judgment of God from the situation. Perversion is celebrated. Do what you want is the law of the land. Anyone who's familiar with the occult and with Satanism will know that do what you want is the basic law of every satanic group. You are your God. There is no judge above you. You determine what you want. You determine what is right. You determine what is love. You determine your feelings run you. Your desires run you. If you, if you want it, you have it. If you desire it, you have it. If you want to cheat on your spouse, you cheat on your spouse. If you want to go into a um, perverse relationship, you go into it. If it's, if it's love, then it's love. See, that's what's life without the assessment of God, God's assessment. Here's what I know to be true. God's assessment is ultimately all that matters. God's assessment is ultimately all that matters. See, one of the reasons why we need God's judgment is because we can be so deceived. We can be so deceived. Do you want to see an example of God's judgment in the New Testament? You look at the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. There's letters to these seven different churches. And every single one of them, it contains God's assessment of the church. God's judgment of the church. And some things are good things. 
I see your works. I see that you're doing this. Uh, this is great that you're doing this. Also, I have this against you. You have this going on. He's giving an assessment, and he's giving them an opportunity to repent. See, God's judgment brings an opportunity to repent because it removes the mixture, it removes the deception, and it opens us up to say, okay, now I see clearly. Now I, have, now I can actually embrace God, and I can actually get out of this muck and this gray and this, this confusion, this deception. See, Scripture says all a man's ways seem right in his own eyes, but God weighs the hearts. What is that? That's God's judgment. God judges the motive. He knows. We can be self-deceived. We can think that we want this and we want that for all these good reasons, and God says, oh, I see pride. God says, oh, I see selfishness. We might not even know it. We need God's correction. Why would we not want it? One of the churches in Revelation, he said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. See, why would you want to stay in that condition? Why would you want to be so deceived into thinking, we're alive, we have so much going on, we have all this activity, we have all the buzz, we have all the great speakers, we have all the loud music, we have all this and that. You know, we have a reputation in the community of being this lively church, right? And God looks at it and he says, actually, from my perspective, you're actually dead. Wouldn't we want to know that? Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather know that now? So we can correct it now? So we can get in the right place now? Because here's, here's another reality. The judgment of God is inevitable. None of us will escape God's judgment. I mean, it says in Hebrews 9, I think it's verse 27, it's appointed for a man to die and then the judgment. Every single one of us is going to stand before God's judgment. Wouldn't you rather receive the correction now and be able to get cleansed and be able to get in the right place and be able to have your heart purified now than go your whole life and stand before the judgment seat of Christ and see it all burned up to nothing? Wouldn't it be better to embrace God's correction and his judgment now? His judgment is inevitable. No, no human being on the planet will escape the judgment of God. For those who are saved, for those who are in Christ, will stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ, and he will test the quality of our works. And it's not about being saved or lost in that state. If you're saved, then, but he's still, you're still being judged. You're still being, the quality is being tested and um, the reward is being tested. For those who are lost, they will stand before the, the throne of God. They'll be judged. They'll be condemned to hell. Hell is real. No human will escape it. No human will escape it. Do you know what makes us have an aversion to the concept of God's judgment? I think two main things. One is humanism. And the other is pride. What is humanism? Humanism is when we elevate man above God. It's the elevating of man, of, hu of humans, of humanity in the place of God, above God. That's what the devil, that's, that's his main game. Humanism is Satanism in disguise. 
That's, that's his main game. That's, that's, the, that's the same thing he played in the Garden of Eden. You can be your own God. You don't need God's judgment. You don't need God's assessment. You don't need to be under God. You can be your own God. You can know right and wrong. You can make your own decisions. But here's the reality. Our aversion, our aversion to the concept of God's judgment, I fully believe is one of the greatest hindrances to seeing the harvest come in. We cry out to God for the harvest to come in. We cry out to God for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. We cry out to God to see his kingdom advance, to see revival come. We, we cry out to God, but yet we have this aversion to God's judgment. We don't want his judgment. And let me tell you something. When God comes, so does his judgment. And the reason why his judgment will precede the harvest is because he wants to clean his house and get it ready for the people that are going to be coming in. His judgment comes and it separates out mixture. His judgment comes and it, it removes the gray areas. And the end result is that the light becomes lighter. And then the lost can actually see the light. You know, the lost can't see the light when everything's mixed together in gray. When everything's mixed together, when we don't know what up is, down, up is up and down is down, and there's more, you know, there's so much sin in the church, and there's so much deception, and there's so much, you know, we look, we look just like the world, all this kind of stuff. How can the church come to the light when the light is so dull? God's judgment separates light from darkness. You know what it causes? It causes there to be a separation, and then it causes there to be a distinction. And when there's a distinction, then the people of the world can actually see something different. And then the ones who yield will yield, and they'll be saved. And then some might hate us. Some might persecute us because the light's so bright. And they love their wickedness, and they don't want to come into the light. And so, see, when there's gray area, there's no persecution. That's not a good sign. When Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, they, God judged. God judged them. Ananias dropped dead on the spot. And we could look at that and say, oh man, like, why would God do that? Why? God is all-knowing, God is good, God is love, God is holy, God is just. If God determined that that was the best case, that was the best thing he could do in that moment, who am I to argue with him? Who am I to say, God, how dare you do that? God, that's humanism. That's elevating man above God. We don't know, we don't know the details, we don't know how many chances Ananias and Sapphira had to repent. We don't know how, many, how much light they rejected, how many opportunities they, they, they had to come. There was such an atmosphere of God's glory there. There was no excuse to do that. They were living in an atmosphere of the outpouring of God's spirit. When God's glory comes, I'm telling you something, the stakes are higher. The stakes are higher. When God's glory comes and sin comes in, the judgment is swifter. We say we want the glory of God. Do we know what happens when God's glory comes into a place? You can read it all throughout the Bible. When God's presence comes in a tangible way, the responsibility just got way higher. 
And things that you could get away with before that, you cannot get away with in the glory of God. And when Ananias and Sapphira sinned, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They did it in an atmosphere of the glory of God. And God determined in his infinite wisdom that the best thing that could happen, they were struck dead. Do you know what the end result of that was? Incredible revival and harvest. You read the next verses, it says, Then the fear of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Great many people came to the Lord. Many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. Many people were being saved day after day. That's the result of what happened after that. All the things that we want came on the other side of that judgment. All the things that we cry out for came on the other side of the cleansing. I think I said I was going to go to Malachi 3. Malachi 3. I'm going to read... I think probably read most of it from the ESV. I might read some from the New King James as well. It's very almost the same exact identical wording, but Malachi three. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you're in Matthew, just go one book back. Malachi three, verse one. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That all sounds amazing, right? I'll send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way. And then the Lord whom you seek, he says he's going to suddenly come to his temple. He's going to visit his temple. He's going to fill his temple. Now look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And like a fuller's soap, a launderer's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. That's the priesthood. Refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. I want you to notice this next verse, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will draw near to you for judgment. It adds a little bit of a new twist, a new meaning on the whole Verse, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. I was like, wow. I will draw near to you for this very purpose, for judgment, to give you a verdict, 
to give you my assessment, to give you my perspective from heaven as an all-knowing God, as all-loving, all-wise. I'll draw near to you for judgment. Listen to this. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Israel, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do you notice this progression that's happening in this passage? He says, I'll send my messenger, I'll send my prophet to prepare the way for my coming. I'm going to prepare the way. Now we know John the Baptist was a a fulfillment of that exact word. He used that scripture of himself, Malachi 1, I mean 3 verse 1. So we know John the Baptist is a, a, a type of this. A messenger sent to prepare the way. But just in the context of this passage, he's saying, I'll send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way because I'm coming to my temple. We all want God to come to his temple. We sing about it. We pray about it. But again, he's wanting us to be refined because who can stand when he appears? He says, the one whom you seek, then the Lord whom you seek, he'll, I'll, I'll suddenly come to my temple. But when he comes, he says, I'll be like a refining fire, like a launderer's soap. Who can stand before my coming? A side of, of the holiness of God and the, the sovereignty of God that steps in. He says, I'll cleanse the sons of Levi. You know, see, that's the priesthood. That was the ones that were supposed to be representing God. The ones that were supposed to be interceding and representing God. He talks about the sons of Judah. That's the praise. He says, then the offering will be pleasant again. It'll be pleasing to me. I'm telling you right now, if you don't get what's happening around the world right now on a global picture... There is judgment on the house of God right now. God is judging the worship movement right now. God is judging the celebrity culture that's gotten into the church culture right now. God is judging. He's giving his assessment. He's giving his verdict. In many areas right now within the church, we're seeing On a global scale, we're seeing things crumble. We're seeing empires fall. We're seeing leaders that were exalted to so high being brought down to the dust. And you know what that should do for us? That should give us the fear of the Lord. You know what that does for me? That gives me the fear of God that says, God, help me. God, uproot anything in me that is of self, 
Uproot anything in me where self is still trying to run the show. Uproot anything in me where there is selfishness or pride or lust or greed or wrong motives or anything in me that's still trying to exalt myself. God, help me. We have to humble ourselves when we see these things happening. It's not about just pointing fingers. He's judging the systems. He's judging the Egyptian system of church right now. I don't mean literal Egypt. I'm using it as a reference to the Bible. The pharaohs that are keeping God's people in bondage. That are running them like slaves to build their own kingdoms. Just like he did when he spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And he said, woe to you. I believe Jesus' heart was broken when he was saying this. I believe there was tears in his eyes when he was rebuking the Pharisees. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He said, you're hypocrites. You're being phonies. He's saying, you shut up the kingdom of heaven upon men. You keep people from coming to God. You use your position to steal from people, to exploit people. To abuse people. You keep people from getting into the kingdom and you yourselves don't get in. God wants a pure offering. God wants a pure offering. God's not interested in how big your platform is. God's not interested in best-selling songs or books or fans or followers. God's not interested in light shows. God's not interested in just hype and excitement. God is wanting the hearts of his people. God wants worshipers who worship him in the secret place. And when they step on the platform, they are just releasing anything that was already in them from the secret place with God. God's not looking for famous preachers. God's not looking for preachers that have big cars and houses and, and private jets. God is judging the itinerant ministry right now of, of, of the celebrity culture that requires to be treated like a king, that requires big honorariums, that requires five-star hotels. God is judging it because it's destroying his house. He is zealous for his house. He is turning over the tables and saying, stop turning my father's house into a business. Stop turning it into a marketplace. Stop exploiting the people of God. Stop robbing them. He says, the one whom you seek will suddenly come, will suddenly come to the temple. And it'll be like a refining fire, purifying, cleansing. And then he says, I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness. And he goes into four categories. He says, I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers. What does that mean? That's those who practice the occult. That's those who are operating in demonic powers. That's those who are operating in witchcraft and sorcery and dabbling in this and that. And I'm telling you, 
God is going to deal with the Simon the sorcerers that are in his house right now. God's going to deal with the false prophets in, in his house. The, see, it's easy, to, it's easy to identify a sorcerer who's outside the church. You know what the problem is? They get inside the church. And because they show power, people flock to them. If you have power, but you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, I don't care how much power you have. If you have power, but you're sleeping with somebody else's wife, I don't care, what, I don't care how many people get delivered or healed in your meetings. If you have power and you can say things and do this, but you're living in deception and you're living in greed and you're... God is judging the sorcerers in his house. And in the charismatic movement, we've been so captured by signs and wonders that we have allowed mixture in, that we've allowed the false in. Because anybody that demonstrated power, we gave them a pass on their character. We gave them a pass on their, on their sin issues. We gave them a pass on how they were living behind closed doors. We gave them a pass on their abusive behavior. We gave them a pass on their sexual predatory behavior. We just gave them a pass. We, just, we swept it under the rug. We covered it. And we see the cycle happening again and again and again. And God is saying, enough is enough. You know, when Peter came to Samaria, Simon the sorcerer, had gotten into the church. And let me tell you something. In my opinion, he was a false convert. But the evangelist missed that because that's not the evangelist mindset. The evangelist mindset is like, awesome, somebody else got saved. Praise God. He's, 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 you know, he, he said he believes in Jesus. He, he's, and he was awed by the, but you know what happened? His heart didn't change. His heart didn't change. He sees the power of God coming when the apostles are laying hands. And he says, oh, I'll pay you money. Give me that too. I'll pay you money. You know what? He's still a sorcerer. That's what sorcerers do. And Peter said, you have no part in this matter. Your heart is bound by iniquity. Your heart is full of bitterness. Repent. There was no repentance. How about you, though? How about you? Are, you? are you entertaining spirits that are not of God? Are you entertaining things? You know, are you dabbling in things? You talk to Christians that think it's okay to read their horoscopes or dabble in occultic things or be entertained by demonic things in their movies, in their books. Well, it's just entertainment. Oh, it's just, it's just a move. It's just this. It's just that. And they're being entertained by the devil. They're being entertained by witchcraft. They're being entertained by the demonic. Or some people that want to mix in the new age with Christianity. They want to mix in. You know, they want to, they want to do Buddhist meditation and transcendental meditation. They want to do yoga and, and you know, all these other things that, that are Eastern, um, you know, demonic practices. You know, yoga is Hinduism, by the way. It's Hinduism. It's Hinduism. That's what yoga is. It's Hinduism. You can't, you can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Are we mixing things in? Are we minimizing things? We've been so desensitized to it. 
You know, everyone now is boycotting Disney. Why now? What took you so long? It's like a couple years ago, everyone started boycotting Netflix. I'm like, what is Netflix? We listen to demonic music, occultic you know, music, because we like the sound, we like the beat, we like the rhythm, we like the, we like the music, we like this, but it's filled with demonic spirit, it's filled with demonic influence. You cannot tell me you can listen to that and not be influenced by it. That is an absolute deception. You cannot tell me you can be entertained by something that comes from the pit of hell and is inspired by hell itself and that it's going to have a good influence on you. Why wouldn't you just listen to worship music? Put on the throne room song for crying out loud. My goodness. He says he'll be a swift witness against sorcerers. He says I'll be a swift witness against adulterers. God is dealing with sexual sin in his house. God is dealing with it. He is dealing with it. Jesus dealt with it. The Apostle Paul dealt with it over and over and over again throughout his letters. It was one of the top things on his list when he was naming areas of sin. Let me read you this verse from the New Testament. Some people think if it's in the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to them. Don't think that. Yes, we have to learn how to interpret Old Covenant. New. I, I get that. But when Paul wrote this verse, he said, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, instruction, correction, reproof. What Scripture was he talking about? The Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't there yet. Paul was writing it. But just in case, let me give you a New Testament. Hebrews 13, verse 4. The marriage be, uh, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge. Do you hear that? God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The church has a lot to say about perversion we see in the world, don't we? We have a lot to say about it. We have a lot to, we have a lot to talk and we have a lot to point the finger to. But God is bringing his judgment on his own house. And he's saying, what about you? Because let me tell you something. A compromised church has no authority to bring transformation to the culture around us. And until we get the mixture out and until we get the perversion out of our own house, we have no ability to be a light in the world around us. And here's the thing. The Bible makes this clear that we are not to judge those outside of the church, but those inside. 1 Corinthians 5, he's dealing with sexual sin. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
He says, this is the will of God for you. Everyone want to know what God's will is for your life? Everyone's saying, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will? Here, I'm going to tell you it right now, okay? This is free. <clears throat> this is the will of God for you. Even your sanctification. Fancy word for holiness. Being holy. First, this is 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification that you would be holy. That you would abstain from sexual immorality. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. People who don't know God don't know any better. They just give themselves to any type of passion, any type of sexual desire. They just, they go after it and it's, just have as much fun as you can. That's what life's about. They don't know God. They don't know God's standard. They don't know any better. God is saying, what about us as the people of God? See, what is God's standard? What is God's, what does it mean to be sexually pure? Well, God's not anti-sex. He created sex. He created sexuality. God created a context called the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That is a context for sexual intimacy to occur. And God blesses that between a husband and a wife. It's meant to be part of the marriage union. It's meant to be part of the marriage relationship. It's meant to be a sacred part of the marriage relationship. It's reserved for that and that alone. It's not meant to be something you can get anywhere else. So a very simple definition of sexual immorality is any sexual intimacy or contact outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. So there's a whole list of things you could put in that. Now, adultery was named in there. That's when there's sexual relationship outside of your marriage, when you're married or you have a relationship with another married person who's not your spouse, that's adultery. I think we know what that means. But he also says sexual immorality. It's a more general term. Because you, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not an adulterer, so I'm off the hook. We, 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 we really have to define some of these things because there's so much deception around this topic. For me, this was a big deal in my conversion because I didn't have any clear definition of this. So in my mind, as long as I wasn't having actual you know, sexual intercourse, I was fine. Well, the New Testament totally upends that. Jesus talks about lust. What about pornography? Pornography, according to Jesus, is adultery. How do I know that? He said it in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it says, do not, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks 
at a woman to lust for her, has committed adultery with her in his heart. He's not just saying, well, if you notice someone that you deem to be a beautiful person, he's saying to look with lustful intent. If you are fantasizing, if you are viewing pornography, if you're getting sexually stimulated, yeah, this, this qualifies for what Jesus is saying. God is dealing with pornography in his house. I'm telling you, you do not, here's how serious Jesus said to take it. Here's how serious he said. He said, therefore, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. For it's better for you to enter into life maimed with one hand than for you to go into hell with two hands. That's how serious Jesus said to take sexual sin. That's what he said. One time somebody came up to me. I was somewhere else. I wasn't here. I was out of town speaking. And it was a young guy who was talking to me. He was talking about his struggle with pornography. And, um, and he was just talking about the, the, you know, the, the, the cycle and the battle, just, just the, the struggle over and over and over again, all this kind of stuff. I didn't say this, but I, I almost said, well, I notice you still have your eyes in your head. Do you have your internet still? Do you have your phone? Throw it out. Throw it out then. If that's what it takes, if that's what it takes. Now listen, there has to be an inward change in the heart. There has to be repentance in the heart and mind. Because pornography is not just about lust. It's not just about a sexual appetite. Single people, let me tell you something right now. Marriage will not solve your problem to pornography. Marriage will not solve your problem to pornography. Because here's the reality. Pornography is not a sex addiction. It is a sin addiction. It is an addiction to entitlement. It is an addiction to lust. It's an addiction to power and control. It's an addiction to feeling like you can have whatever you want whenever you want it. That's not real life. It is a fantasy world. It is living in a false reality. It is perverse. It is dark. It is degrading. It's not just a simple, well, I have a strong sexual appetite and I can't help myself. No. Jesus said, if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. So what does that mean? That means do whatever it takes to cut that out of your life. I'm telling you right now, do whatever it takes. Because when God's judgment comes on Babylon, you don't want to be connected to it. Disconnect yourself from anything related to the perverse culture. Disconnect from it. You do not want to be connected to that system. <clears throat> he says, I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, 
against those who swear falsely or perjurers. You could maybe just some, you could kind of generalize that and say liars. Liars. I've been shocked to find professing believers that are essentially pathological liars. People that actually claim to be Christians that live such deception that can lie as if it's nothing. That can just tell you a lie in such a convincing way. Your conscience has to be so seared if you can do that. This is troubling. This is troubling. You know, we downplay lying. Well, it's just a little lie. It's just this. It's just... Let me tell you what Jesus said. He said that the devil is the father of lies. He says that when the devil speaks in his native, it's his native language, it's his native nature. It's who he is. John chapter 8. He says he is, the, he is a liar and the father of lies. How can we be saved and talk like the devil? How can we be saved and live in deception, deceiving others, lying to others, intentionally minimizing, lying, half-truths, just... I found this to be true. It's actually one of the signs of an evil person is that they're really good at lying. Evil doesn't always have to be overtly evil. It can be the person living in hypocrisy, living the double life, putting on a face in public, living like hell in private. The next category, he said, is oppressors. Oppressors. Those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow, the fatherless. In other words, this is people who exploit the vulnerable. People who exploit the vulnerable. This is people who thrive on having power and control over others. People who thrive on pushing others down. People who thrive on taking advantage of the less fortunate. This can happen in many settings. This can happen in church setting. This can happen from church leaders to members. This can happen in marriages. This can happen with abusive spouses. Husbands who dominate their wife, control their wife, push them down. It can happen with wives. They can do the same thing in different subtle ways. Who thrive on power and control, manipulation, dominating People who abuse children. Do you want to know God's assessment of that? This is the words of Jesus. He says, woe, woe to those who cause one of these little ones who believes in me. Woe to that person who would cause one of those little ones in me, who believes in me to sin. It would be better if they had a millstone put around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That's what Jesus himself said. 
See, here's the thing. God's judgment, God's justice is his love expressed to the exploited. It's his love expressed to the ones who have been under that bondage and that oppression. It's his love manifest to the abused person, to the child who was abused, to the woman who was abused, to the man who was abused, to the people that are under the control of a false system, to those who are under the control of Pharaoh. So his judgment might do one thing to Pharaoh, but a whole other thing to the people that's setting them free. Do you see what happens? His judgment sets those who are oppressed free. He is near to the brokenhearted. See, the religious system does the opposite. The religious system exploits the vulnerable. The religious system pushes down the widow and the orphan. The religious system takes the person who's been abused and re-abuses them and says, well, just sweep it under the rug. Well, you probably deserve that. Well, don't tell anybody because you'll be dishonoring your, your father if you t- t- say that he molested you. Well, we just keep that hush-hush around here because we don't want to give a bad name to, to the church. That's called a whitewashed tomb. God is not interested in it. He's interested in reality, in the real thing. Let me move on here. We're going we're gonna to keep reading Malachi 3. We're getting, we're getting closer. I just want to say this as, we, as, I, as I finish that section up. Please do not, do not be deceived into thinking that you can live in a lifestyle of sin and that you're right with God. Do not be deceived into thinking, well, I can just watch pornography. I can, be, I can sleep with my girlfriend. I can, just, I can do this or that. I can just lie this. I can deceive. I can, but yet I believe in Jesus, so I'm fine. I'm, look at me. This, that is not the gospel. Please understand this. That is not the gospel. The gospel includes repentance, which is a turning away from the sin. That does not mean you will live a perfect life, but your life is changed. The direction of your life has changed. Your heart has changed. And then we go through a process of being changed from glory to glory into his image and being refined. But let me tell you something. Salvation does not just change your address. It changes your life. It does not just change your eternal address. It changes your life. We have to get this. I am so concerned that there are so many people sitting in chairs in our churches that don't even know the Lord. I am so concerned that there are so many people standing behind pulpits that are unconverted. They don't even know the Lord. They've never actually been born again. They've actually never been converted. This is a real thing. So we can't live like these things and inherit the kingdom of God. All right, Malachi chapter 3 still. We're back to three. chapter 3. We're... He talked about how when he went through that list of people he was judging, he said, they do not fear me. You see, a lot of this, what it comes down to is, is a lack of the fear of the Lord. 
a lack of the fear of the Lord. Look at, look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. I want to be in that book. I want to be in that book. You should want to be in this book. God is literally keeping track. He's literally keeping a record. He says, this one fears my name. This one over here in the midst of a perverse culture, he fears the Lord. She fears the Lord. She lives his, her life before me. He lives in the light. He fears my name. He's keeping a record of it. Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, listen to this, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not. You see, when the judgment comes, when the cleansing comes, when the fear of the Lord comes, then you will see clearly the difference. Because then the mixture will be uprooted. Because then instead of a bunch of gray area, you have light and you have darkness and it becomes evident. Then you see Simon the sorcerer clearly. Then you see the false prophet. Then you see the, the hypocrite, the one who's living a double life, the one who's pretending, the one who's false, the one who's abusing in private and acting righteous in public. Then, you, then we shall see. If we want discernment, we have to have the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of God? Let me read this definition. I can't remember if it was in staff meeting or, but Rachel was, uh, Davis was reading, is reading this book by Corey Russell called, Teach, is it called Teach Us to Pray? Is that the one? Teach Us to Pray. And she read this definition of the fear of God. I said, that's, that's good. I'm going to borrow that from Corey. Listen to this definition of the fear of God. I think it really sums it up well. In a general sense, the fear of the Lord is the awareness of God. It's the living awareness that he is, he sees, he hears, he cares, and he responds accordingly. The fear of the Lord causes us to live the same way when we are around many people as when we are alone. You can only live a double life if you don't fear the Lord. You can only live, again, I'm not, I'm not saying you're 100% perfect. I'm not saying, uh, believe me, this whole week I've been crying out to God, God, refine. I spent more time just in tears and on my face and in prayer saying, God, I'm not saying I'm there yet. But, I, but this, this whole double, we have to see integrity restored to the house of God. Integrity, being a whole person, the same person in public than in private, the same person in the pulpit than in my home. If I'm not that way, I don't, I don't get to stand behind a pulpit. Who you are in private, that's who you are. You are not the persona that you present to people around you. That's not who you are. 
You are not the persona that you present to others. God sees right through it anyways. He's not mocked. I interrupted Corey's definition. Let me keep going. The fear of the Lord causes us to live the same when we are around many people as when we are alone. It makes the prayer room and the bedroom the same for us because we understand that there is no place hidden from the gaze of God. The fear of the Lord knows that, we, that what we do in secret is as important as what we do in public. The fear of the Lord removes hypocrisy as it brings with it the deep conviction that everything matters. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the awareness of God to such a degree that we recognize that, like I read right as I prayed, Hebrews 4, right? Our thoughts, our intentions, we are naked before him. He sees me. My thoughts, my motives. You can fool your friend. You can fool your neighbor. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your pastor. You can't fool God. It's all going to come into the light. So now he's saying, return to me and I will return to you. this This is an opportunity for repentance. God's judgment is an opportunity for repentance. The goal is not so that you're condemned. The goal is so that you repent and are saved. Do you understand me? When God gave his judgment to Nineveh, 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. He gave his assessment. That was his assessment. He said, it's risen up to me, the iniquity, the, the evil, the perversion, the hatred, the violence. It's rising up to me. He sends Jonah. He says, this is your last call. He gives them, he says, 40 days. Do you know what? They repent with fasting and weeping and mourning and true repentance. And he withholds it. He, he, he spares them. His judgment led to repentance and it led to salvation and life. That's what God's after tonight. I'm telling you, that's what God's after right now in this room. It's not to hang it over your head and say, look how bad you are. But it's to bring Holy Spirit conviction, godly sorrow that says, wake me up. I can't live in this way anymore. I've been deceived. I've been deceived into thinking it's okay for me to do this and okay to live that way. God is bringing light to you to say, no, it's not okay, but he's made the way for your cleansing, right? He says, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He's made the provision for us to be cleansed of this stuff. His judgment is not hopeless. His judgment brings the opportunity for the repentance. We have to choose that. This is a fork in the road. He's bringing a fork in the road to people in this place, even now tonight. There's a fork in the road. Last verse I'm going to read, and then we're going to just respond. However, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. As I was praying this week, I was reminded of this verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, It shall come to pass... That he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. 
Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem will be called holy. Holy. Don't you want to be holy? There's something wrong with us if we don't want to be holy. There's something missing if we don't long for holiness. God's grace leads us to holiness. God's grace teaches us to be holy. Look at verse 4. So it says, Those who remain will be holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst, watch this, by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. He's, that, he used his judgment and his refining fire to bring the cleansing of his people. So those who remained, he says, will be called holy. When he's cleansed away the filth, when he's cleansed away the mixture, when he's cleansed away the pride, when he's cleansed away the sexual sin, when he's cleansed away the wrong motives, by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of of burning. I don't exactly know what that means, but I've been praying all week for God to pour it out tonight. For the Holy Spirit to fall upon us as the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Whatever he meant by it in this verse. Let's just begin to ask for that right now. I'm just going to begin to ask. Father, this is how I've been praying all week. I've been saying, God, I come under your judgment. God, I embrace your judgments. God, I ask for that spirit of judgment, that spirit of burning to come into my own heart, God, to come into my own life, God, to uproot any mixture, Lord, to remove anything of self, to remove anything, Lord, that is impure in your eyes. God, I acknowledge that you are God. Your assessment is all that matters. Not even what other people around me think, not even what the church thinks, not what other believers think, not, not even what my family, God, your assessment is all that matters. I come under your assessment. I come under your judgment. And I thank you that you are a good judge, that you're a good father, that you love me, and that you bring your judgment out of your love, out of your grace. Come on, just begin to pray. Just begin to do, tonight's a night of doing business with God. Tonight's a night of doing business with God. Just begin to pray out. Just begin to yield to whatever God's speaking to you. If you need to come to the altar, if you need to get on your face, if you need to get on your knees, if you need to pray, we're just going to respond to God. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit to fall in this room, Lord, as that spirit of judgment and that spirit of burning. God, let that fire fall in Jesus' name. God, let that holy refining fire fall, God. God, I don't want any mixture in my life. God, let your Holy Spirit bring a burning conviction. 
And Father, I just say, I repent on any way, Lord. I've not embraced your judgments. I repent, God, on behalf of the church body on any way that we've not embraced your judgments, any way we've been embarrassed by your judgment, any way we've had an aversion to your judgment, any way, God, we've had humanism and we've elevated man above you, God. I repent, Father, and I say you are welcome in this place, God, as the righteous judge because we want all of who you are, God, your love, your goodness, your holiness, your righteousness, your judgment, your truth, God. Just begin to welcome his judgment in your life. He does it for your own good, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Holy Spirit, fall in this place. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, God. Move, God, with burning fire. I believe there's a baptism of fire. Some of you are coming into right now. There's a fresh fire of God's Spirit burning right now. There's a fresh fire. It's a refining fire. God wants to bring refining tonight. He wants to come as that refiner's fire of Malachi 3. God, refine me. God, I can't do it in my own strength, God. I ask you to release the grace, Lord, to purify. God, I want to offer offerings that are pleasing to you, pleasing to you in your sight, God. We're going to stay in this place for a little while. We're going to wait on the Lord and just respond. God, I ask that you would come into this room as the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Like it says in Isaiah 11, the spirit of the fear of the Lord to teach us the true fear of the Lord. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Fall in this place. Spirit of God, bring conviction. Burning conviction. Deliver us from ourselves, God. Deliver us from sin. I really feel like there's people that need to respond to this message, specifically if there's areas of repentance. If, as I was speaking through some of those areas, and you knew God was dealing with you, you knew God was putting his finger on things in your life, God is inviting people to repent, to receive his cleansing, to receive his mercy and forgiveness. But there, we have to break off that pride. We have to break off that, that um, fear of man. If you need to respond, I just ask you to come to the front. I ask you to come to the front. I ask you to come and just come to the altar. If there's any ways that you need to respond... There's other ways that you need to respond. If there's things that God was putting his finger on, things that God was dealing with, just want to open up the altar. <clears throat> just begin to pray as you come to the front. Just begin to pray out. Just begin to ask for that refining fire. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, God put his finger on his speech. 
He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so what did God do? He took a coal from the altar and he purged his lips. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want us to leave this place the same as we came in. He doesn't want us to leave this place living in those areas of bondage and sin and deception. God, let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light, God. Let your Holy Spirit fall in this place. You're worthy, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I submit to your judgments. We need to bring those kind of prayers into our vocabulary. God, I submit to your ways. I submit to your judgment. My feelings don't determine what is true. My deceptions don't determine what is true. You determine what is true. Your word determines what is true. Your spirit determines what is true. God, I submit to your judgments, God. You are a good judge. You're a just judge. Holy Spirit, fall on this place. Fall in this room. Fall on this altar. Fall on this altar. Fall on this altar, God. Fall on this room, God. Lord, bring greater conviction of sin, Lord. I thank you for transformation. Transformation, God. Holy Spirit, move. Let's just seek God together. Let's just begin to seek God together. Let's begin to pray. Let's just begin to seek him. Let's begin to come into his presence together. Holy Spirit, move in this place. God, we kneel before you. We bow before you. We say, you are God. You are God. I thank you that in the fear of the Lord, God, there's intimacy with you. There's knowledge of you. There's greater depth of relationship, God. I thank you, Lord, that in the fear of God, it draws us closer to you, Lord. It doesn't push us away from you. It draws us close to you. It draws us into deeper depths of loving you and being loved by you. Holy Spirit, fall in this place. I encourage you just to yield to however the Holy Spirit's moving. If you need to pray, just pray out. If you need to cry, just cry out. Don't be shy. Don't be self-conscious. Don't be afraid of people around you. Don't be, don't be afraid that people are thinking or looking at you. Nobody's looking at you. Just you and God right now. You're on business with God. You and God right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you're in the congregation, just begin to intercede even for what God's doing in this room. Begin to intercede and begin to pray for how he's moving in this place. Thank you, God, that you're pulling down strongholds, pulling down idols, pulling down, Lord, the lies of the enemy, Lord. You're pulling down the things that keep us from the knowledge of you, God. You're cleansing it, Lord. You're cleansing it, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. There's freedom in the light. There's freedom in the light. There's freedom in the light. Thank you, God. There's freedom in your light, God. Thank you, Father.
And as you're up here, especially at this front, I just encourage you to get, get real specific with God. Get real specific with him in your repentance, in, your, in, your, in confessing of sin. Get specific with him. It's not, not to lead to condemnation. It actually leads to life and freedom and joy. As you get specific in those areas, you bring those things to him. You bring those things into him. Let, let the blood of Jesus wash over you. God, I pray the blood of Jesus to wash over us, God. The sanctifying, cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that because of the cross, God, You've made the way for the cleansing. Thank you, Father. I don't, I don't even want to give you words to say. I just want to encourage you to pray in your own words. Pray out in your own words to, to God. This is just you and God doing business with him, doing business with him doing business with him. God, I want to see things from your perspective. God, I want to know your assessment, God. I don't care what reputation says. I don't care what the press says. Lord. I, I want to, you, what you say is all that matters, God. Your assessment's all that matters, God. God, I pray for that spirit of judgment and that spirit of burning, Lord, right now to increase in this room, Lord. Let it increase in this room, Lord. Let it increase in this room, Father. Let your holiness increase in this room, Father. Let your glory be manifest in this room, Father. God, I thank you that you're preparing for the outpouring of your spirit, Lord. You're preparing the vessels. You're preparing the hearts. You're preparing the people, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, thank you for opportunity right now. This is opportunity. When God brings a word like this, it's opportunity. It's opportunity to be washed, to be washed, to be washed, to be cleansed. Opportunity. I just encourage you, those that are wrestling, you're wrestling, you're, you're, you're weighing, you're counting the cost, you're, you're wrestling. This is a fork in the road. This is an opportunity to be washed. Don't, don't leave that moment. Don't lose that place of, being, of receiving, of following that. Don't be washed away instead. Don't be washed away. Be washed, be washed, be washed. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for the washing. Thank you for the cleansing. Let's begin to pray. Let's begin to pray. I feel like we're supposed to pray for a little bit. I just have such a burden that we need to see the power of the Holy Spirit moved in such a way to bring conviction, such a way to bring conversions, repentance, can we pray for that for a few minutes while people are still just, you can stay at the altar, you can still just be dealing with God and praying. But I just have this conviction and this hunger to see more, to see God's spirit poured out. This, what we need right now in this world, in this hour, is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm telling you right now, nice sermons are not going to do the trick right now. Entertainment is not going to do the trick. The type of things that people have been into, the type of bondage that people are in, the type of trauma people that have been through, the, the healing that they need, the freedom they need, the type of demonic influence that we need, a move of the Holy Spirit, that's the only thing we need. It's the only hope we have. There's nothing else that's gonna, that's nothing else that's gonna see God's kingdom advance in this region. Could we begin to pray out right now and just ask God for a move of his spirit? Just begin to pray out. You can pray in the spirit. You can pray in tongues. If you feel the tears coming, just let tears come. If you feel a travail coming, just let the travail come. Just pray out right now. This doesn't have to be pretty. This doesn't have to be pretty. Just pray out to God right now. Father, I cry out to you, Father. God, that we would see a move of your Holy Spirit, God. Lord, that we would see people come to true repentance and conversion, God. God, that you would draw people that are lost, God, into encounters with you, God, that set them free from deception and lies, God, that break the bondage of sin, Father. God, the power of the gospel sets people free from sin, Lord. Release the power of your gospel, Father. Release the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this land, God. Father, release deep works of repentance, God, that draw people to you, Father. God, I ask for your spirit to be poured out, Lord. God, you see the needs, Father. You see the land, Father. Pour out your spirit on dry and thirsty land, God. Lord, we need a move of your spirit, Father. We cry out to you. We cry out to you, God. Just cry out to him. Just let your prayers go forth. Let your intercession go up. We need a move of the spirit. We need an outpouring of his spirit. We need the fire of God in our midst. God, I can't settle for anything less, Lord, than your spirit poured out. I won't settle for less, Father. You promised your spirit being poured out, God. God, I pray for awakening, Lord. Awake us, God. Awaken us, God. Awaken us, God. Awaken us, God. God, I pray for a fire that wakes us up at night, Lord. I pray for a fire that leads us into prayer, God. I pray for a fire that burns in the secret place, God. I pray for a burden for lost souls, God. I pray for a burden for lost souls, God. God, I pray for a breaking off of addictions, Lord. Lord, the power of God to break addiction, the power of God to break perversion. God, the power of God to break deception, Lord. God, pour out your spirit. Come on, just keep praying, just keep praying. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, we need to see deeper prayer. God, I ask for deeper prayer. I ask for Holy Spirit intercession. I ask for Holy Spirit intercession. God, I ask you to release it right now in this place, God. Release, God. Release it, God. Release it, God. Lord, release the travail that brings birth, God. You know, Women in labor, it's not a pleasant sight, but it brings good fruit. It brings good fruit. Travail in prayer, it might not seem pleasant. It might not look like a nice church experience, but it brings the fruit. It brings the outpouring. It brings the conversions. It brings the, births people into the kingdom. God, let us pray in such a way it births people into the kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, Father. As you're, as you're just in that place of dealing with God, uh, this, some of the Lord's highlightings from brother just came up, uh, unforgiveness, there's areas of unforgiveness, areas of unforgiveness, areas of releasing people, areas of, free, of, of forgiving because we have been forgiven, of releasing those that maybe had sinned against us or uh, harmed us in some way. It doesn't mean that it's okay if people betrayed or abused us, but you can release them between you and God. You can release it. You can release it. You can protect yourself from that type of behavior, but you can release them between you and God. Release them. Release it. God's dealing also with lukewarmness. God's dealing with lukewarmness. God, I thank you that you're dealing with lukewarmness, God. You don't want lukewarmness. You don't want lukewarmness. I thank you that you're eradicating lukewarmness from our midst, God. God, I thank you, Lord. Turn up the heat, God. Turn up the heat, God, in my life, Lord. Turn up the heat in my life, Father. Turn up the fire of God in my life, God. I want to burn by your spirit, Lord. Let the fire of God burn in our lives, God. Let God go deep. Let him go deep. If God's bringing things up, if God's bringing conviction, let him, let him do it in a deep way. God, we don't, I don't want a shallow work in my life. God, I don't want a shallow work, God. God, I want something deep in my life. I want something deep, Lord, by your spirit. Spirit fall with fire, a fresh fire, a baptism of your fire. being released that perhaps there even needs to be just repentance in any way that we've rejected the concept of God's judgments any ways that we've misunderstood it any ways that we've said well I don't want to think about that side of God or just the scripture says behold the 
kindness and severity of God. We can trust his judgments because he is good. And when we are in Christ, for those that are in Christ, that are saved and cleansed in his blood, his judgment does not condemn. His judgment corrects to cleanse us, to make us holy, to bring us into a deeper place of intimacy with him and fear of the Lord and walking in his purposes. But I, I, I truly believe in this hour, we can't progress into the fullness of God without his judgments. It's one of the greatest things our nation needs right now is the judgments of God. I mean, who would want a courtroom without a judge? It would be chaotic, it'd be disorder. Thank God he's a good judge. But even when it comes with severity, even when it comes with what we would think of as wrath or he's still good, his nature is always good. And so I think, I just wanna give a moment right now, just if, if you just need to repent of any way that you've just rejected the judgments of God, I'm just gonna leave some space for that. I'll, I'll just pray out a little bit and I want you just to pray that out in your own way. God, I just say I repent, God, any way that I've minimized or rejected or not wanted, Lord, that part of you, Lord. Any way I've not wanted the judgments, God, I just repent, God, and I say I come under your judgments, God, because you are good and you are faithful and you are the judge. God, I want your assessment of my own heart. I don't wanna be deceived. I don't want to be deceived by self or by sin or by lies or other people's thoughts or opinions or praises or criticism, whatever it is, God. I want your assessment, God. Lord, we want your assessment at Threshold Church, God. We don't want to be deceived into thinking, oh, we have a reputation of being alive and you know, powerful. Or, God, we want your assessment because we want to be everything you've called us to be, Lord. We want to build with gold, silver, and precious stone, not with wood, hay, and stubble that'll be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. Just take a minute in your own words. If you just need to repent of any way you've not wanted to embrace his judgments. We just say we receive you in all of who you are. God, when we say we want you, we don't just want part of you. We want you, God, in your fullness. So God, I just ask you continue to draw us through this time, Lord, as you're preparing your house for the outpouring of your spirit, God. You're cleansing, refining. I thank you, Lord. Lead us into deeper places. God, I pray that this week your spirit would come upon us in prayer, in the secret place of prayer, God. 
God, for those that are under conviction right now, Lord, that you continue to speak and just lead them in that place of conviction of sin. God, I pray that people would not be able to live in deception. I pray that people would not be able to live in sin, God, because your conviction is upon them and it leads them to repentance and life and freedom and salvation. God, let there be testimonies of transformation, God, even out of this time, Lord. God, I pray that over each one of us here tonight, as we go into this week, God, that we go abiding in you and being led by your Holy Spirit. So God, I thank you for what you've released here through this time and in our hearts and our lives. We give ourselves to you, consecrated to you. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Let us walk in your light cleansed by your blood in Jesus name Jesus name For more information about Threshold Church visit the website at threshold-church.com